Hello, welcome to another special episode of The Lancet Voice. I'm Gavin Cleaver. And I'm Jessamy Baganol. So we're talking today about something that's got a lot of media attention recently, and that's presentation of Kawasaki-like syndrome in children. Uh, Jessamy, tell us a little bit really about what this Kawasaki-like syndrome is. So Kawasaki disease um, is a relatively new concept that was first seen in 1961 and then a case of 50 were reported by um, Mr. Dr. Kawasaki uh, in 1967. It's something that we don't really understand quite why it happens. Um, It's an immune response to infections and patients typically present with quite striking features. So they have a kind of um, strawberry tongue, a, a redness of their, t- their hands and feet become a bit swollen and they get rashes on them. It's a vasculitis. So it means that there's some inflammation in the body in some of the, the blood vessels. How, how badly does it affect children generally when they do get this disease? In general, it's a self-limiting disease. And what we mean by that is that, you know, we believe that it's sort of immune mediated. So it's the body's immune response kind of going in overdrive almost, producing a, a set of symptoms and signs that can make you quite unwell or make these children quite unwell. But at the end, it's self-resolving. And, and it seems to be if we are able to treat it effectively in hospital either with something called IV immunoglobulins or other um, medications that are able to sort of alter and change the immune response a little bit, then patients generally recover and do quite well. It can cause problems with the heart and some of those complications can be long long term. Uh, It just depends on what the course is for those specific children really. Yeah, so we talked with Dr. Lorenzo D'Antigo, who's the director of general paediatrics at a hospital in Bergamo in Italy. He's one of the authors of a new paper in The Lancet. And of course, he's been working in a hospital in one of the worst affected regions of Italy. Okay, so Lorenzo, it's great to have you with us today. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is and, and where you work. Yes, uh, my name is Lorenzo D'Antigo. I'm the director of the paediatric unit and child health uh, at the Papa Giovanni XXIII Hospital in Italy. Uh, that is uh, a big hospital in Lombardy, northern Italy. And, uh, well, uh, the, the hospital is dedicated to the care of uh, patients and children. And we have uh, a big uh, pediatric unit. We look after patients uh, with any disease. And we are also a referral center for pediatric transplantation. And in this case, we obviously concentrated in uh, in COVID-19 pandemic. And you've published this um, great series with us about uh, 10 children who presented with this sort of Kawasaki-like presentation over the period of um, the COVID-19 outbreak. Could you tell us a little bit about what Kawasaki disease is? Yes, well, Kawasaki disease is is, uh, classified as vasculitis of the medium caliber arteries. It, It involves very often the heart uh, arteries, so the coronaries, uh, but it presents uh, typically with uh, high temperature for more than five days uh, and uh, a rash and some other abnormalities uh, that are quite uh, easily visible. For instance, uh, abnormalities of the hands and feet, uh, such as uh, uh, erythema uh, or, or swelling, and also what we call mucositis, for instance, the conjunctiva is inflamed and also the mucosa of the oral cavity is inflamed. So that's the typical presentation. And it has been described in Japan in 1967. 
And I guess from a medical school point of view, we always learn about the sort of strawberry tongue picture. Yeah, well, that's that's quite nice to see. Yes, there is also the strawberry tongue, which is not, not typical only of Kaposaki disease, but that's yeah, that's an, a sign. And and as you say, it's a relatively kind of new disease in terms of our knowledge about it and understanding. First described in 1967. How did that come about? That sort of first description. Well, uh, you know, this uh, this disease for some reason is more common. Uh, in the Far East. So it was uh, firstly seen, actually seen in 1967, but uh, described later. And, and then uh, there were a, a few outbreaks uh, uh, in those regions. Uh, um, they, they were recorded uh, in Japan in 1979, 1992, and 1986. But uh, very soon, uh, all pediatricians uh, realized that uh, this disease uh, is diagnosed, uh, should be diagnosed because it's present worldwide. And, and this sort of vasculitis, that's an inflammation essentially of the, of the sort of veins and arteries, it tends to be self-resolving, is that correct? Yes, it does. Although if you don't manage, uh, if you don't treat uh, these patients uh, appropriately, it can have more complications. Uh, it is self-resolving. But if it is treated, uh, it has uh, less complications. And uh, the most important complication is the dilatation of the coronary arteries, uh, which we call uh, aneurysmatic dilatations that can persist through, you know, in, uh, into the adult age. And uh, and uh, that type of uh, uh, lesion can be actually a problem in adulthood. And is there a relationship then between when you treat Kawasaki's disease and whether you get these long-term complications from the disease? Yes, uh, yes, uh, to some extent, yes. And, and the main treatment uh, is quite well standardized. Uh, we actually, uh, you know, use the, the American Heart Association guidelines, uh, and these involves uh, the use of uh, an infusion of antibodies uh, that we call immunoglobulins uh, and the aspirin infusion at anti-inflammatory uh, dosage, and in some cases also steroids. So maybe we could just talk a little bit about the case series. How did it come about? When did you first start realizing, you know, that something unusual was happening? Unfortunately, the Bergamo province uh, has been affected by this virus uh, very early on. It was actually the first area affected uh, by the, the this novel coronavirus uh, in in western countries. So uh, actually, we we represent. Uh, a particular observatory to see the manifestations of this disease. At the beginning, we were concerned about uh, the respiratory aspects because we knew that in adults, uh, the respiratory uh, disease was quite tough, um, quite dangerous. And we were also concerned about the immunosuppressed patients because, as I was saying, we, we have uh, many children uh, who are transplanted or, or uh, on oncology treatments. But we, we soon realized that all these aspects were actually not very relevant. And at some point, a little bit later, I should say, about a month after the first cases uh, showed up, we started to see a few cases of uh, Kawasaki disease. And, and Dr. Verdoni, who is uh, my colleague, uh, uh, looking after patients with this disease and with, with their rheumatology disorders, uh, told me, well, we, we're seeing two or three days uh, you know, one after the other with Kawasaki disease. So we started focusing on that. And in, actually in 20 days, we saw 10 patients. We described those 10, but I can tell you that by now there are already 20. 
how interesting. And this is a sort of, well, in, in your manuscript, you say a kind of 30-fold increase on what it has been over the last five years. That's right. And yes. in terms of our sort of understanding about what's going on here, obviously it's a very much an evolving field, and so we don't have all the answers. But from your own sort of perspective and the sort of perspectives of your unit, which has now had quite, you know, a large experience of this, what do you think is happening? As you can imagine, we reviewed all the past literature, both on uh, coronavirus, uh, the coronaviruses family and Kawasaki disease, uh, to see whether there, there was anything about this uh, association in the past. So uh, it is quite obvious to us that uh, there is an association in these cases. But we want you also to understand uh, whether there was anything uh, suggesting that in the past. We want to understand more on that. Actually, we saw that in the past, the, the family of coronaviruses, that is a very, very special family of viruses because they don't act directly, but they act uh, actually uh, triggering a very severe immune response in the host. Actually, they were involved in this disease. But uh, uh, some authors, uh, some, some colleagues have been looking for the virus itself in patients with Kawasaki, and very often the virus is already gone when you look for it. If you look at the serology, meaning the antibodies against the virus, that's probably the way to connect the, the, two, the, the disease with the virus. And actually, in nine, uh, sorry, 2014, a group from Japan did that and looked at serology and found that a strain of coronavirus uh, was actually apparently involved uh, in some uh, cases of uh, Kawasaki disease because uh, many of the children with that disease were positive to the antibodies. So we believe this is uh, a very tough strain of coronavirus, but we also want to test the hypothesis that the family of coronaviruses have been involved even in the past in this disease. Perhaps you could summarise the main findings of the study. I think we should say that we have recorded uh, uh, a large number of patients presenting with the features of Kawasaki disease. They actually all fulfil the criteria for Kawasaki disease in a very short period of time. These patients uh, are a little bit different or quite different from uh, the classical type of Kawasaki disease because despite they fulfil the criteria, they have a more severe disease, definitely. Some uh, will be brought directly to intensive care units or to the cardiology unit because they have a very severe cardiovascular involvement. So actually, these patients can actually can, can also be misdiagnosed because then intensivists focusing on the cardiac and cardiovascular aspects might uh, and, and not look at other aspects that then at that point are you know less important. And in fact, um, three or four of our patients actually came directly to our intensive care. But when we discussed those, it was clear that there were very severe cases. So I would say these are cases of severe Kawasaki disease uh, requiring aggressive treatment. And I would say most of them require uh, adjunctive steroid treatment that occurred clearly in association with an epidemic of, uh, of the novel coronavirus. And just going a bit more into the sort of presenting symptoms, there are much more sort of gastrointestinal symptoms for these patients. I know that, you know, this is something that we're seeing in other countries now. And certainly within the NHS, there was this NHS alert put out because there was concern that some patients were presenting with 
you know, sore tummies and being misdiagnosed, you know, potentially worked up for appendicitis when in fact, you know, this was a Kawasaki-like presentation. Yes. In fact, even in our series, six of 10 patients had some gastrointestinal signs. You know, the coronavirus does involve the gastrointestinal tract since the receptor, the ACE2 receptor, is also present in the gastrointestinal tract and also in the biliary tract. So the virus has been shown to also to be present and infect the gastrointestinal tract. So it is, it is quite likely that uh, the virus itself in these patients is causing also some gastrointestinal problems. And that is uh, probably the reason why we see these uh, symptoms uh, quite often in these patients. So whereas in Kawasaki, the classical Kawasaki disease, they're not very common. And this differs slightly from a, a letter that we published yesterday, which was uh, Tuesday the 6th of May, that showed a, a group of patients in South London who were asymptomatic and didn't have any symptoms of a kind of current infection. What was the sort of profile of the patients in this case series? Well, uh, you know, I think we have seen all this, the wide, uh, the entire spectrum of manifestations of uh, this coronavirus in our unit because unfortunately, as I was saying, our, pro- our province uh, have been widely infected by this. So, so uh, for sure, there are patients that are uh, as completely asymptomatic. And actually, we decided early on to test all patients admitted to, the, to our uh, unit uh, even if they were admitted for other reasons. And uh, we found uh, quite, uh, I would say, 10% of the patients who uh, were positive at the uh, nasopharyngeal swab. So there are definitely asymptomatic patients. There are patients with some mild respiratory uh, disease. There are newborns and infants uh, with, uh, with a more severe picture, sort of a viral sepsis, but they also respond very well. And now we know that there are patients presenting with this Kawasaki-like disease. But I mean, particularly these Kawasaki patients, their sort of profile is not one of children with a huge amount of sort of comorbidities or immunosuppressants. They are fairly sort of average children, and it's unclear why this presentation has occurred in them. In general, uh, patients... uh having uh, Kawasaki disease are actually normal children, very healthy children. So uh, there is obviously uh, some susceptibility in these patients that we we don't know uh, anything about that. But we do know that just uh, some of children infected by this virus, for instance, develop Kawasaki disease. For instance, we worked out that probably in in our province, in our experience, in, in about a thousand children infected, probably just one, developed Kawasaki disease. So there was some uh, predisposition, but uh, at the moment we don't know much about that. But it is not uh, new because even before we were seeing Kawasaki disease in, in very healthy children. And two of the patients tested negative for SARS-CoV-2 serology. What's your explanation for that? Well, two of of 10 of these patients tested negative. Uh, They were both tested after immunoglobulin infusion and one was tested the day after immunoglobulin infusion. That might be one reason, a good reason probably. One patient might also be not related to this infection. Uh, We cannot, uh, you know... Your kind of baseline presentation of Kawasaki disease that you... 
Yeah, it might be because usually we have, uh, you know, one or two uh, in this period. So we cannot exclude that uh, one patient was a classical Kawasaki related to some other condition, maybe some other infection. But one particularly, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that we should have tested uh, this patient before immunoglobulins. But you have to consider that the serology testing have become available uh, a little bit late, uh, you know, after the the emergence of the epidemic. So we actually tested everybody at the same time once we had a test available. What do you see as the kind of implications for our understanding of the sort of immunological processes that are going on with SARS-CoV-2? What insights can be gained from this case series? I think this case series confirms that that SARS-CoV-2 is a virus not damaging uh, directly, but uh, triggering a very severe immune, uh, immune response in the host. That's true even in, uh, in lung disease and the COVID-19 disease. We have clearly seen that uh, injury is mediated by the host uh, uh, immune response. So actually uh, the best treatment uh, is, uh, is with immunomodulators. And that's also why probably immunosuppressed patients, for other reasons, are not affected. They actually might be protected. We also published something on that because we have many patients. So this manifestation, which is clearly an immunomediated manifestation, confirms that these are very special viruses that we have to concentrate on their ability to trigger a cytokine storm, uh, what we we call also a macrophage activation syndrome in the host. And what are the sort of next steps for research? What is it that we need to see next to broaden out and, and fill out our understanding of what's going on here? In my view, uh, if we want to understand more on etiology of Kawasaki disease, we have to start looking at uh, immune response against viruses. Because, as I was saying, uh, 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 most likely this disease uh, is due to an immune response to a virus, but we should look at uh, serology, not to, uh, for instance, PCR, looking at directly to the virus. So if you want to understand about the etiology, I think that's the way forward. In terms of the epidemic, I think there are important issues here, because uh, once we are ending the lockdown period, then we have to uh, allow the persons, including the children, to go back, uh, for instance, um, back to school, uh, we have to consider uh, the implications of this. Of course, this remains a rare disease, but uh, we have to be aware that it will present more commonly. Another issue is that it uh, you know, relates to the immunity to the virus and the vaccine in the future. So if we can develop a vaccine, uh, probably... If this is the main cause uh, and will remain the main cause, probably we can also prevent uh, the development of Kawasaki related to the coronavirus. That's great, Lorenzo. And and I guess we should just finish by saying that, in fact, all the the outcomes of all of these children were were good and they were all discharged from hospital and to be doing well. This is an important uh, message I would like to give because although correctly there are are being warning around I think it is important to say that this remains a rare disease. So, uh, as I was saying, probably uh, it affects just one in a thousand children that got infected by the virus. And secondly, although some require intensive treatment, they respond very quickly. Uh, I think it is important to consider to use steroids at the very beginning 
And in a few days, these patients would respond to the blood pressure, would get uh, back to normal. And at the end, all these patients, at least in our experience, uh, went back home and they're very well, that they went back to being fit and, and very well. That's great, Renzo. Thank you so much. Thank you. So as we always try and stress, uh, our understanding of COVID-19 is very limited. And just as we're talking about a disease, Kawasaki syndrome, that we really know very little about being caused by a disease that we really know very little about. It's, it's kind of, we're really in a kind of mystery zone here in terms of the causes of this particular disease. Yeah, exactly. And I think the important things to stress here is that it's still very rare for children to be affected by SARS-CoV-2 or to get any kind of severe response to COVID-19. You know, this is something that is an emerging problem. We didn't really get much information from this from China. And there might be, you know, several reasons why that is. This seems to be the sort of first case series and we're looking for more information. So the comment authors who, who wrote a nice linked comment to this, to put it in context, um, one of them was Russell Weiner, who's president of the Royal College of Pediatricians, and the other is Liz Whitaker, who's leading one of the sort of UK groups to try and get a larger cohort of patients to understand what's going on here. It's particularly interesting, I think, especially with all the talk about reopening schools, of course, which is uh, something that's happening in phased terms in in Europe at the moment. You know, it's uh, it's important for us to be aware of complications like this that we that seem to arise from COVID nineteen in children. But like you said, it's really important to stress how incredibly rare this disease is, as well as children being affected really by symptoms of COVID nineteen. Exactly. So I think the message still is that, you know, we should be reassured that children, for the most part, don't get severe disease. All of the children in this particular case series uh, survived and had good outcomes. But there is obviously some potential link between having the virus and later having some kind of immune mediated, quite severe response to it in children. And that needs a lot more untangling and a lot more information for us to really understand what's going on there. And I think that's something that we're seeing. We've just published a correspondence letter from a group about a small series of children in South London who have presenting symptoms that are similar to this sort of Kawasaki-like presentation. And so what we're seeing are clinicians, you know, across the world becoming alive to this situation and will be, I'm sure, seeing much more, um, many more cases and, and many more pieces of sort of the puzzle as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Very early but um, a really fascinating, interesting piece of research. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of The Lancet Voice. We'll have more episodes coming soon and you can find our whole archive, which since the outbreak of COVID-19 has covered uh, lots of topics to do with, with covid including advice for asthmatics, for pregnant women, for the elderly, other topics including misinformation. Uh, And you can find this archive wherever you usually get your podcasts. Thanks for listening again and see you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Thank you. Bye.